Hello, I'm Lindsay Hooper, and for one very last time, this is The Show Must Go On. Over the course of this 10-part series, we've given the spotlight back to some of the sports stars that should have been lighting up our screens this summer. We've mixed sport and comedy and learned what training in lockdown has really been like. We finish with an Olympian. Here's who's joining us on today's show. Hello. I'm uh, Boris Johnson, and you're listening to uh, The Show Must Go On on the great British station, uh, Union Jack Radio, full of uh, bangers and mash, uh, whiff-waff, and bulldogs with Lady Thatcher's face on their great British bottoms. Today on the show, uh, Lindsay is sadly not joined by two young women in Roa, Mo Sabihi, and Patrick Monaghan, the comedian. Mo has an MBE and won a bronze medal in the Olympic 8 in London and a gold medal in the Coxless 4 at Rio in 2016. Patrick Monaghan is an Irish-Iranian comedian who first rose to fame in uh, 2011 and is a regular at the Edinburgh Fringe. Uh, Right, I'm off to the pub. Over to you, Lindsay. The show must go on on Union Jack Radio. Yeah, we should thank him for opening those again, shouldn't we, really? Here to help me get to know Mo is comedian Patrick Monaghan, who you would have heard on episode two alongside sprinter Asha Phillip. Patrick, are things finally looking up for you? Can the comedy world start to get back to normal? Oh, Lindsay, it's always been looking up for me. Do you know what? I have enjoyed this last three months. I know that everyone, I know you've been speaking to people and everyone's worried about being at home. But for me, this is this is a godsend because I always think comedy starts at home. It's the same as charity. I think what you need <laughs> is it's the people at home that need the most laughter. Even though comedy is the last venues to be opened up, still not being opened up. So what I'm going to do is over the autumn, the next coming months, I'm going to be going around to people's houses and just entertaining them whether they want it or not and there were allegations Patrick last time Mm -hmm. of cheating thrown at you in the home decathlon challenge have you been better behaved this time (laughs) I can't believe that you thought look just because I smashed that competition I smashed it I think just for just to recap I think I got 3,000 tea bags in a teacup from two metres within 60 seconds. Not many people can do that, and I'm quite proud to have that. Okay, maybe, Linz, looking back on it, two foot isn't two metres, but it doesn't matter. It's very close. (laughs) So you need to watch this one, Mo. I'm just warning you early doors, okay? Uh, Welcome (laughs) along to the show. I have been reading your column in The Telegraph where you've been updating people on your gruelling training regime during lockdown. So talk me through some of the modifications that you've had to make, I think in your garden in particular, in order to keep on rowing. It's been raining a fair bit, hasn't it? So, yeah, I've had to create this like little tarpaulin thing that has often fallen down but I've now got it down after three months of being at home and fed up of getting soaking wet. And it's actually not me that I'm trying to protect. It's the machine that's a thousand pounds. And then it's, it's not waterproof being a water sport, which is quite ironic, but um, <laughs> yeah, no, just making sure that the rowing machine doesn't get too damaged in the rain. I wonder what your neighbors have been making of you. Uh, I, I feel really bad at the end of all of this, when I finally don't have to ergo and make it, make the racket that, drones on for about an hour and a half at a a time 
um, I'll make sure I'll drop around some presents. And do you mind being so solo? Because you, you tend to be on your own for a long period of time. And I guess in lockdown, that's more enforced isolation. This is strange. Um, we, all, we always, always compete against each other, even though we're in a team. So we're always looking out for number one. So the lockdown has helped in that sense that nothing's really changed. What you do miss is the interaction with people. On a day-to-day basis at our centre, there's nearly 70 people. That's the element that I missed, um, just seeing people's faces, chatting over breakfast, and the, the loneliness of being by yourself is quite tough when you're on a rowing machine. But you, everybody knows why we're doing it. I have to say, Mo, that before lockdown, I used to go to the gym, not much, not much at all. But when I did go, the worst machine in the whole of that gym, hands up, is the rowing machine. I mean, it's just relentless. How do oh. you even keep yourself motivated I, I'm in there like this and I'm I'm doing it and I remember I went in once with a mate and he said yeah yeah just do it for five minutes to warm up and within about three rows I just <laughs> thought I, I thought this I've had enough mate I'm going over to the vending machine it's horrific yeah it's, it's it's horrific machine but also in public gyms it's one of the most ill-used or mistreated machines out there right. the way that people use them yeah the knees way. all over the place yeah yeah and everyone 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 that you speak to goes oh you're on the rowing machine it's all arms isn't it well actually it's not it's all legs <laughs> but no it, it's it's a really tough grueling machine and we're very lucky because of we have that machine as a as a as something that can can replace the on water stuff we're not like swimming there's no swimming simulator right is it easier on water though? That's the thing though. Is it because I mean, I, I, it, on water, I suppose you've got the, you've got that motivation and adrenaline. There's a shark or a crocodile in the water chasing you to faster. Definitely down the Thames. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, it's rough down. Well, now nobody's <laughs> using it. There's all this wildlife coming back in. That's what I've been seeing online. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. Uh, on the water is easier because of the moment you take your first stroke, your mm-hmm. second stroke, you've got momentum and the the vessel is moving. But when you're on the rowing machine. The moment you take your stroke, you then have to pick up the same load again from the front. So you never you never get a sense of momentum because you're stuck in one place. So it's much easier to go out on the water, but then water is slower. Oh, wow. So I didn't realise that, that yeah. difference. You have been very public, Mo, as well, about the fact that Tokyo was going to be your swan song games. Um, yeah, this was meant to be it for you this year, 2020. So when you realised there was going to be a postponement, uh, what was your initial reaction to it? Like most athletes, retirement is like a really dodgy subject. It's kind of, it's a taboo. It's something that you don't really want to talk about. You don't really want to admit to yourself as well. I'm now 32, so next year I'll be 33. And I'm just starting to get to the upper limits of what you can do in rowing. Rowers can go up to 40 if they really wanted to, mind and body allowing. But no, yeah, I was looking forward to this being my swan song and kind of going out hopefully with a bang. But the way I look at it is just giving me another 12 months doing something that I love and something that actually I don't really want to stop doing. But sometimes life in general just means that you have to move on and there's never a good time to stop, is there? No. And I don't think the British public really trust rowers when they say they're going to retire. We remember Sir Steve Redgrave, you know, if you see me in this boat again. Yeah, I know. I know. It's because of the age... The way that we train and the way that the, 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 the physiology that we use, you can go on for a very long time in the sport. 
if you are really good, like Steve was, you can go on for an incredibly long time. Well, this is The Show Must Go On. It's all about getting to know the characters behind the sport. We'll hear more from Mo over the course of the show. Plus, he will share with us four motivational tracks that mean something to him. Once we've heard all four, the artist playlist for the series will be complete and you can download it in full or share with sporty friends and family by visiting unionjack.co.uk. Mo and Patrick will also be making a final recommendation for a film or box set that they've enjoyed watching during lockdown and at the end of the show we have round 10 of the home decathlon challenge the athletes are way out in front a little bit like what you're used to mo out on the water they're leading the series 7-2 however patrick is one of the winning comedians so we'll see Thank if he you. can cheat i mean win yeah. again hello it's uh boris Johnson here and you are listening to the show must go on on Union Jack Radio. Mo, let's go back in time. You were 15, you were identified at a talent spotting programme. Please explain to us how that sort of thing comes about. Well, it was really strange. I was actually sat in an assembly a week prior to them visiting school and said, oh, next Wednesday, which was our PE day for that year, it was like, oh, next Wednesday, there'll be a special PE class for all the tall people in the year. It's just like, what the hell are you, like, it's so weird. Anyway, didn't think anything of it. Brought my, my, my gear as normal, turned up, and I was actually on, on my way to catch the school bus to the field to go and play football. I just couldn't be bothered with the testing, didn't think anything of it. But the teacher at the time dragged me back and said, no, you're the tallest guy in the year, you must go and attend. So I went and did it in a, in a bit of a grump. Mm-hmm. Everything that we did on that day had nothing to do with rowing. And then, yeah, a couple of weeks later, get a phone call saying, you can win medals in the sport of rowing. Can we come and meet with you and your parents? And yeah, when that the meeting was one of the most surreal experiences in my life. I've got three rowing coaches sat opposite. My mum and my dad sat either side of me and they're going, you can win an Olympic medal in 2012, you know, hard work, dedication, sacrifice. But at the end of this journey, something, it might not click, you might not make it, but you do have the raw parameters. And and now 17 years later, I'm wow. sat here talking to to you, Lindsay, and to Patrick. So it's it's, it's very surreal. <laughs> yeah. So so you're six foot six at 15. What were you? Oh, so I'm six eight now, and I you're six and, eight. Yeah, six oh. eight now, and then I'm I was six foot five when I was 15. So I, I've not grown much, although I've got heavier. There are yeah. so many sports, aren't there, where you really need to be tall yeah. in order to, to yeah. do well. Yeah. So did you feel quite lucky that you'd got those genes? Um, yeah, well, depends on how you define lucky because of, you know, having to always shop online back in 2003, online shopping was really weird. I remember going to high and tall or, or whatever the shop I was called at the time. Yeah. It was just so bad. The clothing is awful. It's a blessing in disguise being tall, but for rowing, but for fashion and for trainer shopping yeah. and stuff like that, you know, going into mm-hmm. the amount of times I've gone into a trainer store and said, oh, do you have any size 12 or size 13? And they look at you as if you're mental. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, no, it, yeah, it's a ble- it's, it's, it's lovely being this tall and, and, and lo- I'm so lucky that I, sp- I found a sport that, like you said, being tall helps. I tried tennis, I tried basketball, I tried football. Um, you were never going to see me as a footballer, but the other sports I was quite good at. But you know, there's a different different coaching ethos around those sports. Where I was really lucky with rowing that I got a one-on-one coach, and my development was just skyrocketed after that. I bet you probably get pestered at the supermarket. 
Uh, yeah, or, or what's or, the weather like up there? Or yeah, oh um, yeah, the usual. Yeah, yeah exactly. all of those classics. I'm sure you get the same. Like, oh, you're a comedian. Tell us a joke. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I hope you retort with "I'll let my gold medal tell you" from Rio. <laughs> <laughs> that would be great to hear. Uh, you were in great form going into those games, Mo. Uh, looking back, do you, do you think that was you reaching a pinnacle there? Because I, was it just before you'd broken a record of Matthew Pinson's? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just before. So my kind of like between London 2012 and Rio uh, 2016, I was pretty lucky. It's, it, you know, three-time world champion, multiple records, and then, you know, reaching the peak at, at, in Rio and being able to win a gold medal was just, it's just the cherry on the top. And looking back, I'm very privileged to have four years like that and to be a world champion every year is not always happened in British Rowan's history. I imagine you start chasing that again as well and potentially that puts you off your stride a bit. Oh, totally. I've always tried to explain how having a gold medal alters your psyche around things so after London when we lost we rolled the dice and we went for it and we ended up losing a silver medal but you know winning a bronze the very next morning exactly what I wanted to do to become an Olympic champion and that motivation and that fuel and that hunger was just there every single day and whenever I wavered or you know felt unmotivated my first port of call in my head was the feeling of losing Whereas over the last three years, knowing that I'm an Olympic champion, sometimes when the going gets tough, rather than you getting tougher, you just go, well, I've, I've already achieved what, I've, what I set out to do. I'm, I'm an Olympic champion already. So actually finding the motivation, finding the, the hunger, that's always the challenge now. And that suggests that a second gold might mean more to you. Oh, after the last four years, yeah, totally. And with, with what's just happened now and, and going through isolation training, and challenging myself and and doing everything that we've done over the last three years, all the losses, you swap it for that one win next year in in the summer, it would just be, uh, yeah, I think that gold medal will be a hell of a lot sweeter than the Rio one. Well, I don't know about you, Patrick, but I'm dying to know the sort of music that Mo listens to to get him fired up for this because it's been a journey and a half. Uh, What track are you going to give us first? My first track is DJ Khaled, They Don't Love You No More. So uh, a little bit of background, I'm like the resident... DJ at Caversham, our, our training centre. So if there's a, an ergo session, it would be my music that goes on. I have a list that maybe the rest of the group doesn't necessarily hear all the time. And this is my number one track that I put on once a month or once a couple, every couple of months for the rest of the group. But for me, this is the track that means the most. And it's quite rude. It's quite aggressive. But the, the lyrics about when you reach the top, they don't love you no more. That goes back to my motivation pieces that like when you've reached the top and you you create this narrative in your head that they don't love you anymore or you you're not as hungry so it's trying to build that motivation back in for me well in that case without further ado here it is on union jack radio people look at you strange saying you changed like you worked that hard to stay the same like you're doing all this for a reason and what happens most of the time people change people change around you because they start treating you different because of your success. We the best music. Another one. Ever since we hit the top, wanna see me in the box. They don't love you no more.
You're listening to The Show Must Go On with me, Lindsay Hooper, and this week, the final week in the series, I'm joined by comedian Patrick Monaghan and GB rower Mo Sabihi. Patrick, mm-hmm. uh, being a DJ in a dressing room, would that appeal to you? Oh my goodness, could you imagine? It's When you're on tour, you're quite you're on your own sort of thing, but sometimes when you're with a couple of other comics, it would be beautiful to have music in the background. Comics are probably, probably the same as sportsmen, people like that with... You probably had this moment with, with your training and all this where everyone always goes, oh, well, I did this last time and I'm going to beat this. And with comedy, it's the same. You're, you know, you're only as good as your last gig. And everyone just yeah. goes on about it. I would love it just to just to pull out a big deck, like a big system and just start blasting music and going, right, come on, put your hands in the air. Let's carry on. Let's let's get ready for today. Music is a powerful tool in your training. Yeah. Or it just in, it just in general, in life, like I, I feel my ergos or my rowing machine training sessions if I didn't have music they're mm-hmm. torture it's just torture well there are three more of your song choices to come Mo so we look forward to those plus we've got that home decathlon challenge where we pick comedians against athletes one final time and you can watch all of the challenges so far on our show page at unionjack.co.uk Mo and Patrick I think you share something in common in being the first at something Okay, so I don't think there have been many Irish Iranian Geordie comics, have there, Patrick? Exactly. Thank you, Lynn. Exactly. One of my jokes when I first started out was saying, you know, Irish Iranian Geordie comic. I'm massive on the big Irish Iranian Geordie circuit. One of the, I'm the biggest comic on there, but to be fair, there's only three of us: me, my brother, and my sister. Because that's that's exactly <laughs> what it was like back then. And what's great, and it's probably the same in athletes now in, in sport, where it's so diverse. That's the great thing about Great Britain is that we are this tiny island that brings, you know, it brings people from all around the world to this country. And I think and comedy, so much so in the last five years or whatever, you know, the last five or ten years has boomed with that, you know. When I started out in comedy, it was quite funny because there wasn't really any Iranian comics. There was loads of Irish, you know, or Northern comics, but there was none of this sort of mix. And the only time people had ever heard of Iran was on the news sort of thing. So as soon as I'd go on stage, people would just be terrified. You just it'd be like a walking into like a, a like a hostage negotiation. It'd be like two hundred odd people who were just having a drink and then they're going, It's from where? From hang on, we've just seen it on the news. It's definitely more representative but it does shock me that we're still having all of these firsts and for Mo for you you were the first Muslim to represent Team GB in rowing. Had that even registered with you at the time? Yeah well, the press do a very good job at trying to find niches or angles or stories, mm. don't they? And I think mm-hmm. that was one of the angles that they found building into to London because of Ramadan mm. and London fell at the same time. Yeah, um, finding that out was quite a little bit of an inspiration, but then it took its toll eventually. So after two years of being asked the same sort of questions and the same sort of angles, I kind of actually isolated myself from media and press for a good, I think it was 12 months or 18 months, just Mm -hmm. because I I got a little bit frustrated with being asked about everything other than rowing. Um, Mm -hmm. So I needed to kind of focus on rowing and let the rowing do the talking first. And then then after, you know, like I said, after the 18 months, I realized actually I'm an ambassador for the sport and I'm also an ambassador for my faith. So the most important thing that I can do is try to be the best rower that I can be, but also try to promote the fact that I am a Muslim in a sport that everybody normally kind of thinks it's uh, middle class elitist. So to, to show that I'm a kid from a normal comprehensive school that didn't offer rowing, I'm Muslim on top of that. And then I'm a, a now an Olympic gold medalist. 
you know that for me is like great a great story yeah. and, and something that needs to be promoted say if I was 15 years old now and I wanted to start rowing and I could see this guy that was just like me went to a normal school and yeah to open up those doors and break down the boundaries for the for the future generation is 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 very important but of course I don't I love being the first but it's a shame that it's 2020 and I'm still the first and only yeah yeah I think as you get older as well you you will really want to take on that responsibility more as well to be able to try and get more and encourage others to come and follow in your footsteps and, and we hope that does happen um you mentioned it potentially being an elitist sport and on that note we've got a question from Boris Johnson uh in my uh political career I wouldn't change anything because uh as we all know it's all been Excellent. Uh, would you go back and change anything in your sporting career? <laughs> would I go change anything in my sporting career? Um, no, because I feel like everything that I did wrong or everything that I've done well to this day has led me to this point. So I was a really bad athlete between 2006 and let's say even to 2013. I was a pretty bad teammate. I'd often have these like deep mood swings where for three weeks I wouldn't speak to my coaches, I wouldn't speak to my teammates. But I, I definitely feel like that's led to this point now where I've embraced that. I know that if that happens again, I shouldn't be doing that. And being reminded by one of the best coaches in the world in in Jurgen saying that he's I'm the most difficult athlete he's ever coached and you know, being on your last lifeline and things like that, you kind of realise that actually the mood swings that you're doing are irrelevant and actually the most important thing is trying to be the best teammate or try to be the most powerful person that I can be as a leader as amongst a very young team which we have right now it's Jürgen Grubler is it that's your your coach yeah yeah Jürgen's Jürgen's are Jürgen's are our chief coach men and women now he used to just be the men he's won a gold medal since 1976 Mm -hmm. I want to say or 1972 he's won a medal at every Olympics basically since time begun what is it about Jurgens and coaches? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I haven't seen I haven't seen my Jurgen dance yet. Um, but I've seen Jurgen Jurgen Klopp. He looks a little bit of a better mover than what I imagine my coach to be. Mm-hmm. That's still to come. He maybe maybe he'll get on TikTok at some point. Join Patrick. Um, what's yeah. your What's your track number two for us? Uh, my track number two is Steve Angelo. Rejoice. This came about. Uh, one of my teammates, Johnny Walton, just grabbed my laptop and put it on. And weirdly enough, I'd heard it at a concert where we'd seen Steve play. He's part of Swedish House Mafia, but then they broke up and they went solo. It's Seriously, it's one of the ultimate psych-up songs out there. If you turn it up as loud as you can, it's quite slow. It's um, as a build-up of lyrics, but then when it drops, and the lyrics kind of mean something as well. It's basically telling you to seize the moment and take take your opportunity and be the best person that you can be but yeah the moment that that beat drops your blood just gets pumping and and you're you're ready for the fight so it's it's something i i I try to put on before a hard session or before a hard race well that's what we're going to do right now we're going to crank it up at rejoice on union jack radio you have to fix the mind before you can bestow the blessing because until they get their mind right everything you invest in them is going to leak out of the crevices of a mind that refuses to change look at your neighbor and ask him do you have a mind to change
I'm Lindsay Hooper and this is The Show Must Go On on Union Jack Radio where I'm joined by comedian Patrick Monaghan and Team GB rower Mo Sabie. Still to come, it's Mo versus Patrick in the Home Decathlon Challenge plus two more songs to come chosen by Mo. Uh, you've already spoken, Mo, about how important music is to you. We had another uh, athlete say that they were the dressing room DJ as well. Is there any pressure in that, in, in psyching up other people? Well, it depends. So I hate talking about this sometimes because I sound so pretentious and I feel like I'm I'm an actual radio DJ or a music DJ in the clubs in Ibiza <laughs> um, but but it, it can have an impact on the group when everybody's feeling low and tired you sometimes you need some cheese or you need some some songs that are just going to bring people up and I know that everybody doesn't necessarily like the choice of music that I put on but the impact it can have on a room when you're stuck on on the rowing machine for the second week because the lake is frozen or we live on an island so it's incredibly windy and you can't go rowing, it, it can kind of boost everybody's morale. Mm. It's quite cool being, but there is pressure and you do get you do take it personally when somebody tells you, "Oh, that was crap." <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I'd be telling someone who's six foot eight that I didn't like their song choice. Yeah, but they're all the same size as me at rowing. So, <laughs> have you ever had anyone? come in and tell you to switch the music off like the caretaker and they're about five foot two well yeah we have we used to uh, yeah they've got some meeting rooms above the 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 loud gym yeah um and the, the sound just reverberates and it still does now to this day so oh. there have been many underhand yeah. tactics where they've, un, they've, un, <laughs> they've disconnected the speakers and then i've gone around and reconnected them again to try and make sure that we get the full maximum volume <laughs> <laughs> this extra year ahead mo You've been saying that you're relishing this now. You, you've you really obviously got another opportunity to get this time under your belt to maybe get to an even higher level than you were going into the Tokyo Games had it been 2020. Is that how you're looking at it? Because I know that the, there were these trials, weren't there, that took place um, in March. And did you come second in those? So it, it yeah, might have been second. a bit on the line uh, as, to, as to where you were for, for qualification. So this could be a good thing. It definitely is. I'm seeing it as a positive thing for us. We've got a very young team and of the team that was selected just before lockdown that then has had the selection kind of voided after the, the, the games were postponed. Yeah, I think I was going to be the only returning Olympian going to the Olympics. So the pressure on not just myself, but on the rest of the team going into your first ever Olympic Games is very high. So to give young people, young people in the sport, the best amount of time and opportunity to get things right I think is very important and then the other thing looking back over the last six months nine months for me I was injured around October time I didn't actually go rowing out on the water for three months so January and then I was away so I, I always I'd always felt like I was playing catch up with the rest of my team so this kind of extra 12 months to hopefully touch wood not get injured or, or ill it's just given me time to to kind of harness and and, and get my, my skill set right ahead of next summer. Well, it's exciting times ahead then for British rowing. And I always am amazed by how good we are at this sport. It's like cycling, rowing. You can bet your house that you're going to get something in an Olympics in those yeah. sports. It's because we sat down. <laughs> it's, it's that old Aussie joke that we're good at the sports when we sat down. <laughs> uh, speaking, of, speaking of sitting down and watching TV, can I get the film and box set recommendation from both of you for this episode then? What is it that you like to watch, Mo? This lockdown, every single Monday when it was released, The Last Dance, 
the documentary oh, following yeah. the Chicago Bulls 98. Oh, yeah. I'm a massive... We did have that one on an earlier one, actually. Yeah. yeah. Like, for as a sportsman, mm. it just... It's the epitome of of documentaries. It's, it's up there with the best. It kind of highlights everything that you would go through and you can relate to. And that's what I love about watching most of the sport documentaries, whether it ranges from the Sunderland documentary mm. to the all or nothing ones or even the college football american football you can you can relate and you 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 think about what you would be like in those situations as an athlete but yeah the last dance was just mm-hmm. yeah it was just epic to watch from from start to finish i don't even think there's a weak episode mm. this makes patrick seem really really funny now uh, <laughs> uh, Lindsay, can i just say my choice Lindsay, is exactly the same as mo's both documentaries no it they isn't no it documentaries, isn't mo. do not listen to Lindsay; she's lying <laughs> luckily i get these beforehand mo and um patrick's a big fan of the real housewives of beverly hills oh, nice. <laughs> yeah have you seen it mo you would love it it is honestly <laughs> it's very much like the last dance it's got a lot of a lot of motivation <laughs> Stuff in. It's all the only reason we've been watching this is because we have watched everything else. There's nothing left on TV, <laughs> Netflix. We've watched every. We've even downloaded everything that is possible out there to watch, and it is the most addictive thing you've ever seen. You must have seen it, Lindsay. No, see, it? to me, this is the worst choice of thing really? to watch during lockdown, where we're all struggling financially. I do not want to see people flaunting their wealth in my face. I know. No, well, that was the thing. I was like, I was thinking, oh my goodness. But then, but then you realise actually, it makes all of our lives seem so much better because. Do you know what these women do all the time? Shop? Yeah, exactly. They shop, they go shopping, they whine and they die. And that's all they do, all the whole episode. And I was saying to my partner, I said, this is going to be rubbish. But you watch it and it's brilliant because there's literally these fights. These fights are better than watching, like, it was better than watching Deontay Wilder and Tyson Fury fighting. I mean, when these women go at each other and, and, and then you watch, I, honestly, I was terrified. I reckon Mo and I are going to always be on the fence on this one. I don't think you're going to convince us. I know that there's a whole group of boys that watch Love Island every year. And one year I followed it as well. And it's one of those addictive yeah. television programs, isn't it? That once you get hooked, you want to see how it finishes. But if you never start it, you oh. don't ever... You don't ever get involved. Well, it's too late for Patrick, but we can save ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) Let's bring in another star of the screen then. Um, Here's Gordon Ramsay with a question for you, Mo. Okay. Yes, my success came in the kitchen, but I also played football a couple of times for Rangers. I hear you've always wanted to play for Arsenal. What was your first sporting dream? Wow. Um, My first sporting dream, yeah. I think like most kids growing up is you want to be a footballer. And yeah, my beloved Arsenal would have been a perfect home for me in the early 90s as a defender. Uh, Were you eyeing up being the next Tony Adams or something? Yeah, next Tony Adams, Steve Bold kind of role. And then, of course, Burkhampton, Henri and Vieira. So any one of those ones. The glory days, as we now call them, in the Arsenal Football Club. Well, you must have been good at football. I mean, at your height, centre-back? No, originally I started off as um, a striker. Oh, and wow. then as years went on, I then went further and further back on the pitch. And then it, in theory, in theory, being an ex-striker, then becoming a defender, I should know all the tricks in the book. But I just got made to look, I got made to look like a mug week in, week out. <laughs> um, so, <laughs> but, but the early days then, I knew I was kind of motivated and competitive. So yeah. I set, my dad sent me a challenge when I was a striker. He's like, oh, if you score six goals this weekend, because I think it was like a tournament weekend, 
you you will buy you the the England shorts or England yeah, something yeah. for the ninety eight, and I managed to score fourteen goals that weekend. Oh my god! Um, and so there there and then I knew I was competitive. So if you give me a target, I'll go for it. Yeah. I think it's time we get another track from you, Mo. I could listen to you all day, though. But um, let's get track three. Eminem, Till I Collapse. The lyrics are just so perfect for when you are feeling tired. I'll read them out very quickly because sometimes you just feel weak. You feel tired, you feel weak. And when you feel weak, all you feel like is you just want to give up. But you've got to search within you to try and find that inner strength and get that motivation not to give up and not be a quitter, no matter how bad you want to just fall. I spoke about the Steve Angelo Rejoice being a perfect get-up song. This is a perfect song to remind you when it is tough. And it's something that I played between 2012 and 2016 pretty much every time I had an ergo test. Sometimes you just feel tired, feel weak. And when you feel weak, you feel like you want to just give up. But you got to search within you. is the show must go on on Union Jack Radio a mix of comedy and sport to help us ease our way out of lockdown Mosa B has chosen three motivational songs and there's one more still to come so what is the pathway to qualifying for Tokyo looking like for you now Mo? Well qualification touch wood is still standing so the country has qualified certain boats so always at the world championships the year before they have a quota of the top five nations or top eight nations, depending upon the event that you're competing in, will then qualify that boat for the next uh, Olympic Games. So I was in the eight last summer um, and we came third, but we had to be top five to qualify. So the boat itself is qualified, but the personnel, that's still up for debate. Our comedian Patrick Monaghan is also with us. And Patrick, I I take it that you're a big Olympics fan. Yeah, I love the Olympics. I mean... uh... It's funny because um, I'm always at the Edinburgh Festival every year and every time the Olympics is on, it's always at the same time. It's always up there. So it's great. So during the day, we love it, honestly, as a comedian, because like in Edinburgh, you would do, we do like, you know, two, three shows a night, whatever, you know, you do it every night for a month. And when you people think, you know, oh God, that's hard work. You're going out every night. But then when we were at home, I put the telly on, watch these athletes running around, rowing, jumping, all this. I think that's proper work, mate. We're just stood on a stage, you know, holding a drink in one hand, <laughs> just going, I'll tell you what I was up to last week. Yeah, it was great fun. I did this. You know, so it's, I, I do love it. The only thing, and it'll be quite interesting to see what happens, because for us, you know, in comedy, they're, they're talking about, you know, the audiences. When we go back, it's going to be a new normal. It's not going to be like the old normal. So audiences will be socially distanced. Some places won't even have audiences. They'll be like in a drive-in car parks. But it'd be quite interesting when you watch the Olympics. And I don't know how this is going to affect you, Mo, where for us, when I watch on TV, I love it when they do shots of the crowd and everyone's like that. But could you, would you perform in front of like no one? You know, like how hard will that be? It'd be weird. It would be weird, but for Rowan, we don't really get many people come along anyway. Oh, do <laughs> so, <don't> they? <laughs> at the Olympics, maybe, and and especially in London, we we were blessed yeah. with thirty thousand people. But in Rio, there were some days where it would literally be friends and family. 
cost. Ah, right. So it would be less than 2,000 people, less than 3,000 people. And for the majority of your race, you're in silence anyway. So in Rio, we only ha- we could only hear the crowd for the last 300 metres. We don't have that kind of start to finish. It's not a sport that's reliant on the audience, no. is what you're saying. Unlike you, Patrick, who needs an audience, really, for your job. You need the feedback, surely. Yeah, I love it. You need, you want people like getting involved. And then not just the laughter, because you can hear that, but it's, it's quite funny. You know, when you're doing things, you go, have you done it? And then some nights, it's amazing where someone will shout something out and, and that'll add to your, to your story or your routine. You go, oh, my God, yeah. that, And, it, and you'll know that will never happen again. But I think with Rowan, don't you get someone shouting at you, though? You'll have someone in the boat, don't you? Yeah, we have. We have a, a little man called Cox. Yeah, um, they, they can be quite annoying, um, <laughs> as, as in equal, equal parts as annoying and useful. I could do that job. Yeah. <laughs> come on, Mo. Come on. Uh, we have slowly been getting some live sport back, Mo. Uh, for those of us that have still not got enough, though, we have been setting a challenge each week. So we'll find out now from John McEnroe what this week's home decathlon challenge is. Okay, five rings challenge right now. We don't have any Olympic rings, so elastic bands will have to do. This challenge is about who can flick an elastic band the furthest. Each player gets five attempts, and whoever lands the furthest wins. I hope you see what we were trying to do with the five rings there. Did you, did you go and get your elastic bands thinking, uh, what what is all this about? A little bit, yeah. <laughs> it's also episode 10, Mo. You know, we've run out of ideas as well. <laughs> this is all about those five rings, a.k.a. the elastic bands, and which one you could get the furthest. Uh, it was all about distance, this. We'll start with Patrick and find out how he got on. I, I know that you were much better with your measuring this time, Patrick. Yes, and I had a slight disadvantage. You've got to remember because Mo has got seven foot arms. <laughs> Mo, he could six foot eight. He could lean over and put his bands at the end of the two meters. This is not fair. Okay, we'll see. Okay, athletes versus comedians challenge for the final time. We're going to start up with comedian Patrick Monahan. He's got his tape measure there looking pretty good. Okay, well, that's a great start flying seriously far with those first two. That third one's a bit of a flop there, as is the fourth. But you feel as though the first two are such high scorers. Looking pretty awesome at the end of play there. Patrick Monaghan scores at 2.2 meters. Most of B, he's got it all to beat. So Mo had it all to do, although you have pointed out that he might just lean over and that might be enough. (laughs) The athletes leading 7-2 in the series. So this is either to make it 7-3 or 8-2 to the athletes. Mo, up your step. Okay, Mo Sabi's turn in this comedians versus athletes challenge. Patrick Monaghan looking pretty good with 2.2. Let's see what Mo's got. These rubber bands are really flying right now. He's elected to go outside. Wind might be a factor, but if you look at those bands, it must have helped him because he's on 3.4. He absolutely smashes Patrick Monahan and wins today's challenge. What a performance. What? I think he hit that one at the park. Yeah, a little bit. I, I limited myself as well because I was worried about my measuring tape not being long enough. If that becomes an Olympic sport, yeah. then you'll be talent spotted again. <laughs> <laughs> 
Another win for the athletes. That means 8-2 on the overall leaderboard. You can check out all of the challenges at unionjack.co.uk and have a go at all of them yourself. We've got another question before you go. David Mitchell this time. Hello. I still don't care about sport, but I've been tasked with asking yet another question I have neither the knowledge nor the desire to understand. So here goes. What is it about rowing in the Coxless four boat that you like so much? Oh, um, that is actually a quite a good question for somebody who doesn't like sport. For me, it's like the perfect mix. The eight is quite fast. It's a, it's a ferocious event. And then the, the pair, so two-person boat, it's quite slow, but a little bit more tactical. Whereas I think the four has the right mix for both. So you don't have a cox. So the crew has to be built around the four people that are in it and, and no more external kind of inputs. And the, the judgment of the race has to be done within that boat. The The event itself is quite quick. And for British rowing, it's our blue ribbon boat, five-time Olympic champion on the bounce. It's got such a rich history. Even before those Olympic golds, we were winning silver medals and we were in that event. So, yeah, I, I'd say that it's, there's, there's something about the fluidity, the speed and the kind of team bonding that you create from the, between the four that is, is different to the other boats. And Cox less, so you don't have to be shouted at. No, so, you had, so I, I was fortunate enough to be the person that was doing the talking in Rio. Um, so it was my, my responsibility, but it's actually quite... There was a big learning curve for me because of you don't realize how much you can impact somebody by saying the wrong thing at the wrong time. I caught myself doing it once or twice where I went, oh, come on, guys. Like, what, what does that even mean? When something's not going right and somebody goes, oh, come on, guys. It's like, oh, what, you're showing disappointment. But And actually to try and then turn that around and go, right, let's, let's step up, boys. Or just it, just the way you turn things, it makes you think about it. It's, yeah, it's mm. definitely helped me in my progression with what I was discussing earlier about, you know, being a good teammate versus being a bad one. Will you do that again in Tokyo? Uh, it depends on the boat that I'm in. But okay. even if I'm in the eight, I will still be vocal. I will have a part to play in terms of passing on experiences and knowledge. Mm-hmm. That could be like the Yoda of the odour of the crew. Yeah. So I didn't realise, so on the four, that's coxless. If you haven't got someone there shouting at you, could you not just put a little motorised engine there? Well, yeah. (laughs) I think they'd notice that we're all of a sudden (laughs) a little bit further ahead. So I I also had to steer in Rio. So the steering was done with my foot, whereas a cox would traditionally steer with their their hands. And like you said, they got a bit of better view. So he's actually doing something. I'm sorry. Yeah, I, didn't is, I thought he, he was yeah, just no shouting. I thought he was just moving. Oh, God. Between me and you, they don't do anything. Yeah. Um, but, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, their responsibility is to get the boat as, as from A to B in the fastest possible way. So that's a straight line and then motivating the rest of the boys. Brilliant. I'm afraid that we're running out of time. So we're going to thank you, Mo, very much for coming on the show. Where can people follow you on social media if they want to keep across your journey? I'm on all platforms, M-O-E-S-B-I-H-I on Instagram and Twitter. And for you, Patrick, when people want to see you back at those drive-in gigs? Yes, I will be everywhere. I'll be coming to your house. So just look outside your front door or your back window and you will see me there doing my local door-to-door service. No, I'm on all on social media as well, everything, Twitter, Instagram, and I'll let you know all the gigs. And also my live show is every Saturday night, 7pm. Fantastic. We have got time for a final song choice, Mo. And track four, what's this one all about? Why does it mean something to you? 
So this is like the the current 2020 kind of, I'd say, team song. Whenever this gets put on, the room kind of goes crazy. It's Randy Zombie, which is a, a remix of the Cranberries song, but it's in the hard style. So it's quite aggressive, it's quite loud, but it has its effect, especially when they say hold the line and then the beat drops. I'd implore you guys to come down when everything is kind of eased and relaxed and just put that song on and watch the room and how it reacts. I can't think of a better way to finish off. Uh, We hope you've enjoyed the show must go on. If you missed any of the other episodes in the series, they're available to download via Apple Podcasts. Previous episodes include Wimbledon player Katie Bolter, boxer Luke Campbell, sprinter Asher Phillip and footballer Lucy Bronze. A huge thank you to all of our sports stars and comedians for taking part. To Josh Berry, who's been our impressionist extraordinaire for each episode. Our production team of Chessy and Flo and the team at Union Jack and to the audience content fund. This is Randy Zombie as chosen by GB Rowett Mosabee, his final song choice and the final one of the series on Union Jack Radio. The show must go on is created by Offside Productions Media, supported by the Audio Content Fund. It's not my-